Fitness friends, anxiety warriors, mental health champions, welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman, and I'm not a licensed healthcare professional, not a counselor, not a doctor. No, I'm a guy with 727 days of sobriety coming up on two years this Friday, and I have a doctor on this episode of 40,000 Steps Radio. Michelle Quirk of Mindful Marathon joins us. She is a pediatrician by day, and she is an on-call running coach because, well, basically, she does coaching at all hours of the day for people at any fitness level. Oh, I adore Michelle. We had a tremendous conversation, a very emotional conversation, and I think you guys are going to dig it. I'm looking out the window. It's a beautiful day. Beautiful day to lace them up for 40,000 Steps Radio. Let's get it. All right, 40,000 steppers, I hope you're sitting down because I've got some really troubling data for you. Female physicians are 2.27 times as likely to commit suicide than the average woman. For men, it's 1.41 times as likely, which is awful and it's heartbreaking, but 2.27 times as likely that a female physician will commit suicide than the average woman. It's insane. Suicide is the second most common cause of death in residents. So why is this happening? Well, I mean, imagine the sort of trauma that goes on with a physician day after day. My guest on this podcast is Michelle Quirk from Mindful Marathon, and she's a running coach, but first and foremost, she's a pediatrician by day. Now imagine being a pediatrician and having kids walk through your doors every day who are dealing with something and they're scared. Oftentimes, you know, you make that diagnosis and it's going to be a long road to recovery. Imagine making that diagnosis and knowing that this child may have to deal with it for the rest of their life. Or that awful scenario where this ailment, this disease, this illness, it's going to take this child's life. All right, here's another scenario. Sorry to pile on, but imagine a child comes into your clinic and your spidey sense starts tingling because you realize something's going on at home. This child is being abused. People who this child should be able to trust are treating them poorly, are hurting them. Imagine carrying that around with you. And what we've learned about trauma is it's not just one like grandiose incident. I mean, sometimes there is that one big incident, but most often it's all of these little pieces of trauma that add up and rewire our brain. So this is what physicians are enduring. I mean, imagine being a surgeon and and losing somebody on the operating table. You know, imagine working with the geriatric community and and how hard that's got to be to comfort families on the regular who are losing their loved ones. I mean, this is, I don't, I can't understand this because I've never worked in the area. I can't begin to imagine to understand it. And mental illness sets in in all different ways. Some of us like me were born with it. 
Yeah, I, I endured some trauma as a kid, which I'm sure informed some of that mental illness. But I think by and large, it's just how I was born. And some of it runs in my family. For a lot of these folks, they are enduring this mental illness because of their job. And they're not talking about it because by and large in society, we don't talk about mental illness, right? But from what I gather from my guest, Michelle Quirk, is that particularly in the healthcare industry, we don't talk about the need to protect the protectors, which is incredibly sad. And here's some more data that speaks to that. 50% of people who have committed suicide did not have a known mental health condition. The operative word there is known. I mean, I think you and I can connect the dots and figure out that a lot of these folks who were committing suicide who didn't have a known mental health condition, they had a mental health condition. Whether that's depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, or if it's simply burnout. And things have gotten worse because 40.9% of U.S. adults report at least one adverse mental behavioral health condition related to COVID-19. So take these physicians who are already under duress and put them into a pandemic setting. Wow. I mean, I don't think you and I can begin to imagine the burnout. Unless you're a physician listening to this, and in which case, mother of God, sweet baby Jesus, thank you for all that you do. Because the things that you do do not exist in a vacuum. As you take care of the sick members of our community, you're enriching the community at large, and I'm eternally indebted to you. So the word that keeps coming up is burnout, right? Because when you're fried, when you're emotionally fried and mentally fried and you suffer that burnout, you can't do your job. You, 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 your pistons aren't firing. You're, you're shot. And that's okay. You're human, right? Physicians are human. Goodness gracious, are they ever. That's why they got into the gig in the first place. Because they have a calling to help other humans. So, in order to address that burnout, my guest, Michelle Quirk, started a running coaching business a couple of years ago. It's called Mindful Marathon. And she has helped a ton of physicians and a lot of professionals across the board with this to help them deal with that burnout and find a place to put their grief and their anxiety and to heal and to get some free medicine. Because when we exercise and when we run, we're generating all those feel-good chemicals endorphin, serotonin, dopamine. It's all there for the taking if we can just get up and exercise a little bit. But it's daunting for a lot of people, and that's why Michelle meets people where they are. I mean, when she started running, and it was shortly after her dad died and she was grieving the loss of her father, she just started out, she just wanted to go around the block a couple of times. And then she did that, and the next thing you know, she's training for a 5K. And then a 10K. And then a half marathon. I mean, you see, you see how this trend goes is that you know, we get hooked on those feel-good chemicals and what a great hook it is. You know, for me, back when I was in the throes of alcoholism, you know, I was running a lot, but I wasn't getting the full benefit of it because, well, alcohol was running interference. So I had to go to rehab in order to get on the straight and narrow. So I'd like to talk about the place where I went to treatment, Gateway Foundation in Aurora, Illinois. If drugs or alcohol are starting to take over your life, it's time to get honest with yourself and get help. These days, many people are at home or out of work, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with stress and anxiety is stronger than ever before, right? 
Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient as well as virtual programs so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your own home. Don't wait to get help that you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 to schedule a free confidential consultation or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. All right, so Gateway helped me get back on the straight and narrow. And folks, as soon as I got clean, I truly realized the benefits of running. I truly, with my brain healthy and processing those feel-good chemicals, man, running took on a whole other meaning for me. And now my wife will attest to you that if I'm walking around, if I'm grumping around and I go for a run, I come back as a completely different person. And that's what Michelle Quirk is helping people achieve through her Mindful Marathon program. You got to check her out, mindful-marathon.com. She's coming up here and she gives us some free tips. <laughs> hey, but the first taste is always free, right? She gives us some free tips with the hopes that you will contact her and she can put together an individually tailored running program just for you. All right, get your tissues ready. Like I said, I warned you, this gets emotional. This is my conversation with my dear, dear friend, Michelle Quirk. So, so you saw the geese? I saw the geese, yes. It's, it's always like a wildlife adventure yeah. with, with you out there. Beyond the geese, you ever see a, do you guys get foxes or anything? I haven't seen a fox. Did I tell you about the beaver? Oh, I, the, the big fat beaver, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's something. <laughs> or she, I don't know. Do you think it's the same beaver every time? Probably not. Probably not. But is the beaver always alone? Yeah. It very well could be the same beaver be the then. Because you'd think... You'd think <laughs> Because you'd think that if it was a different beaver, that you might see two of them one of these days. Yeah. I haven't seen two together. Yeah. There's a dam, like, up the trail a couple of miles. So I imagine they're swimming, you know, back and forth and bringing their sticks and stuff. I don't know. But he's huge and a little scary. <laughs> Do you name him? I mean, I affectionately named him Bruce because I love Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> what? Okay. All right. And he's the boss, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you said it, though. You should have given him a unisex name. Him, her. Oh, true. She, they, him, however, whatever pronouns yeah. the yeah. beaver has. I don't know. <laughs> well, we were talking about it before, and I want to circle back to this. I, I, you see a lot of geese out there, right? Yes. And you see the geese babies? Mm-hmm. And the geese babies are delightful, but the, the geese parents... They've been tough lately. <laughs> Did you say that other people like give the geese space? Yeah. But not you. No, no, I have. I have. <laughs> I mean, I've gotten a little too close, but I learned my lesson running too close to the babies because they're so cute. So I run to the babies, but you got to stay away from the babies. <laughs> I can't help it. They're so beautiful. I want to touch the fuzzy geese babies, the goslings. Yeah, yeah, but then they hiss at you. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm, I've been afraid that I might have to, you know, run away with a goose chasing me. <laughs> it's Hey, that's not uncommon. I've, I've seen it. It hasn't happened to me. But was it, it's so weird that geese hiss. What is that? It's unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> I, I identify with the geese on account of the fact that I can be a little bit of like a curmudgeon and I, I like... I, I like to keep my distance and I'm incredibly like protective of my kids, of course, especially during the pandemic. So it, it's, it's kind of a confession of mine is on a strange level, I actually identify with them, which is weird, <laughs> but all right. So how far did you go? Uh, five miles. Are you training for anything? I'm training for a 10 K even though there's not an actual race on my calendar. It's just in my head. Okay. But, um, but yeah. I've been looking. There may be an in-person race in New Jersey that would fall around the time that we were going to uh, run it. So I'm in like a middle of a 10K training cycle, but just to race for myself. <laughs> I mean, once you do the five, you've got it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was the timing going to be? Um, June 10th around then. Okay. Something like that, that weekend. Yeah. So if nothing crops up, will will you like time yourself and... and... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just along the trail here. Hopefully without the geese. <laughs> <laughs> well, but hopefully if they're there, they'll be holding signs and honking at you. <laughs> that would be great. You think we can get a goose to like ring a cowbell, to shake a cowbell? That'd be nice. <laughs> June 10th is uh, my wife's and I, that's our 10th wedding anniversary, actually. Oh, well, happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. I think I think we're going to make it. We've got four more weeks as long as I don't blow it between now and then. It's wild training right now, you know, with the lack of races. We're we're training for a 50k and we definitely took on the uh the mentality this year of the trail race. Have you looked into doing any uh the kind of getting away from the road races and doing trails? I've never done a trail race, but I would love to. I hadn't either until last not last August, the August before. It's all these years look the same to me now. Yeah. <laughs> but we did the the trail half marathon, and my goodness, like it was very hilly and up and down. So like the day after, like my quads and everything were just shredded. Oh. However, my joints felt my joints had never felt better after a half marathon because you know you're running on trails. It was nice. Yeah, yeah, it is nice terrain to run on. So, yeah, we'll see. Maybe for the fall. Yeah. <laughs> When you were growing up, you weren't a runner. Did you get into any sports as a kid? Not really. <laughs> I, I was a dancer. Like I did ballet and tap and all that kind of stuff. But I was not, yeah, I would not say I was athletically inclined. <laughs> but, but for ballet and dance, the, like the full-fledged performances, getting up on stage and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Very mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. So performance was in your DNA, but not competition, would you say? I would say competition was there too, because we did competition, like, um, yeah, we would go to these things and, you know, dance in our group and you would get, <laughs> you would get awards and trophies and things. So maybe it was always there, but in a different way, but I never thought of myself like that. Competitive <laughs> academically? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I could have I drawn that conclusion. <laughs> I mean, what was your family like growing up? Do you have siblings? Yeah, I have one older sister. Um, okay. She's eight years older than I am, so there's a bit of an age difference there. Um, 
and I was always kind of the annoying little sister, like <laughs> <laughs> wanting to um, follow her around and do all of the cool stuff she was doing and harass her and her friends. And so I think yeah. that means you were, you were doing it right. That's <laughs> was she competitive or into sports or anything? And, and, and your parents, were they into sports or anything? Um, well, my dad was a wrestler. And he was a wrestling coach, actually, before, that was sort of before I came along. So my sister knew him as kind of the wrestling coach um, and had been to a bunch of matches and things. So he was into sports. Um, and my sister was a cheerleader and she also danced. But yeah, neither of us were into, yeah, like a competitive sports in that way. <laughs> so yeah. your dad was a wrestling coach. Did, did he ever do sort of the, like the nudging to, hey, I know you don't, you're not into sports, but maybe you should try this, that sort of thing? Not really, actually. I, I think my parents were very uh, kind of like, see what you like and mm. we'll support you with those things. And I do remember, <laughs> I, you know, I'm short. You can't see this on the video, <laughs> but I'm like a short person. My whole family, we're very short, petite people. Yeah. Uh, my mom's like five feet tall. My dad was five seven, like tops. And at some point when I was in elementary school, I remember saying to my dad, like we used to go and shoot hoops and like just play, you know, baseball in the backyard. We were active, you know. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying, like, I think I might want to play basketball. And he was like, Honey, that might. You might oh I no! No, like that might not be <laughs> where you want to take your strengths. Hey, but the world needs point guards. Come on. I know, I know. But yeah, so I, I never really went went for the basketball dream. <laughs> we, uh, I mean, my children come from very diminutive stock as well. Like I'm I'm 5'9 tops and, you know, my wife is 5'4", I want to say. So yeah, our, our girls are very petite and we had twins and like they started out small and they're just not particularly big still, but the smallest kids in their class. Now, how old are your kids now? I don't have any. <laughs> Why was I under the impression you had kids? Well, I have I have many children who I take care of. <laughs> of course. That's cool though because yeah, as a pediatrician, like that that scratches like the itch and then it's kind of like <laughs> it's kind of like you're the really cool aunt that you get to you get to hang out with all these kids and then you hand them back to their parents. Yes. That's great. <laughs> was this a long time coming with wanting to be a pediatrician? How did you end up in that field? Oh. Uh, well, no, I don't think so. So <laughs> as a kid, um, I mean, my parents could tell you I was always like taking care of my stuffed animals. Like <laughs> I had a little doctor kit and I would always check them out. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe they saw it coming, but I didn't. And I think for a while I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do. When I was in high school, I really liked science. So I was thinking more like going into research or you know, biology, something in the lab, something like that. I really liked doing that kind of stuff. Um, and nobody in my family is in medicine or in like a healthcare profession. So I didn't really have a, a lot of, I guess, mentorship that way to know anything about it. So um, I remember I shadowed a physical therapist when I was in high school. I thought maybe that might be something I was interested in. And she really helped me to figure out, you know, what kind of think it through, like, do you want to do this? Do you want to go into medicine, maybe? Do you want to do something else in, in science? So when I got to college, I just, um, I was an undeclared major, but I started taking all of the science classes, like, in preparation for going 
somewhere in the, the research or pre-med route. And mm -hmm. um, I stayed undeclared until I absolutely had to declare a major. And I actually declared a philosophy major. So <laughs> I was taking like all of the other liberal artsy <laughs> type stuff and I loved everything, you know, English and philosophy and writing and all of that. And, and I was taking these science classes. So I was always a little bit different in that way that I, I didn't start out totally knowing for sure where I was mm -hmm. going to end up. <laughs> yeah. Philosophy. I know so many people who like for a moment in time were philosophy majors <laughs> or English majors or business majors. Everyone sort of dips their toe into one of those areas, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, why, why philosophy? Have, have you always kind of been like a deep thinker or? Um, you know, I took the, I think by luck, my advisor the first year was the head of the philosophy department. And I was in a class with him the first semester and I loved it. So I signed up for another one. And that's how it went. Like, I just loved it. So then I kept signing up for more. And eventually I was like, I should probably <laughs> declare this as a major. <laughs> because I really like it. And I think my parents were probably worried, like, what are you going to do with this Bachelor of Arts and Philosophy, right? right? But, right. <laughs> but really, you know, my advisor along the way was like, you know, you can do anything with this. You could go on and do graduate school, medical school, law school, like this is, you know, this is great. So I, I really, um, I credit my, my advisor freshman year for really opening that door because it wasn't something I had thought of before. I so did, did, you, mm -hmm. did you get a degree in philosophy then? Yeah, I have a Bachelor of Arts. Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness. That's cool. Yeah. And, and, and then you went on to medical school. Yeah. So how about, I mean, the, the, the pediatric role, uh, the pediatrician role specifically, how did you land there? Yeah. So in medical school, you know, you rotate through all the different uh, sort of fields of medicine. And I knew pretty early on that I was not at home in the operating room and surgery was not going to be it for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so... Again, I, you know, I think my family probably could have told you I would have ended up in pediatrics. Like I really have always gotten along well with kids and I didn't know that until I got to the rotation, but I loved that, you know, they would come into the hospital and we could really make a lot of changes quickly. Like they would come in so sick and then turn around and be running out the door with a popsicle a few hours later. Mm -hmm. So like, <laughs> most of the time, you know, they could get sick really fast, but they get better generally pretty quickly too. And a lot yeah. of the problems they have were not um, self-inflicted, let's say. <laughs> Whereas it was very difficult to um, talk to adults and kind of, you felt like you were saying the same thing over and over, but change can be so difficult for, for us adults. But kids aren't like that. They're very um, resilient and able to change quickly. So anyway, yeah. I found myself at home with the kids. And so <laughs> yeah. I went after that. <laughs> well, you had that caretaker role. That, that comes so naturally to you. And I think that that's probably what makes you a terrific running coach. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But when you say that, you know, kids would come in and what they were dealing with wasn't self-inflicted, are you talking about because it was illness or are we talking about something else there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the illnesses of adults, um, a lot of health problems, I feel like we do to ourselves. Another thing we're going to talk about is why you got into coaching. And that's because of the, one of the things we don't want to talk about is, is the burnout and the level of like mental health stress and the issues that it causes, especially when, I mean, as a pediatrician, how often do you see a kiddo come in 
and like your spidey sense might start tingling because you think you might see something there or you just bold-facedly see that it's a situation of abuse how, how do you how do you deal with that yeah i think over time that tingly sense that you talk about that that gets honed in a little bit more in training i think we are taught um, how to identify who is a really sick kid who we need to keep our eye on and who we're worried about from an illness standpoint and who is maybe sick but is you know generally going to be fine and that that's such a huge part of training and then all of that other stuff and the social type things happen um, over time i don't think i was as adept as a resident at having that sense that something was off but um, one thing that's helpful especially with teenagers and young adults like getting you know parents out of the room <laughs> that's a that's a helpful thing like to develop a rapport with a kiddo over years and trust so mm -hmm. that you know they feel comfortable to tell you things so that's something that is a privilege of the primary care doctor and maybe not someone who works in an acute setting like an emergency department to have that rapport with with a patient but but yeah, unfortunately, it happens, you know, more times yeah. than I would like to, to admit. <laughs> you probably weren't prepared for that by somebody else. How much do you think that speaks to like when you were going through med school that it was a different time? And like, we don't want to talk about abuse and trauma and mental illness now, but back then it was, it was even more kept under wraps. Yeah, that's very true. I think it's different. And I can see that in the trainees coming through now, like I precept medical students and residents and so I was a medical student like you know it was over 10 years ago <laughs> but I'm happy to see that things have changed and that this is and even in the questions that we ask our patients and in the questionnaires that we give when families check in and the kids who are able they have an iPad and they answer a lot of these questions for us so it's it's just become a part of our practice now where we ask whereas before I don't think we we were asking the questions yeah. so we weren't getting the answers you know, so often I'm hearing this is that we have to ask those questions because if we put the onus on a kid or an adult or anybody to take on that burden and be the one to volunteer that stuff, there is such a hurdle to clear there. So it's so good to know that we're trending in the right direction. Like even a, a buddy of mine who's a, a reporter and one of the best investigative reporters that I was ever spoiled to, to work with as an editor um, he, this guy is such, and again, I shouldn't make assumptions cause we, we shouldn't just see what's on the surface, but this guy is a reporter's reporter, a man's man. And so it really kind of caught me off guard when recently, especially with the pandemic and working from home and like his living room became his office and how he said, you know, these EAPs, they're in place so somebody can reach out. He was like, but really, these newspaper organizations should be having counselors reaching out to their reporters for check-ins. And hopefully we're getting closer to that place where, you know, any company worth their salt are being proactive rather than reactive. But in most things, like in medicine, it takes a long time to make changes. <laughs> you know, I always hear the analogy. It's like trying to turn around a battleship in a bathtub. It's a slow process. Yes. Um, okay. So obviously, you know, this, this all feeds into the burnout conversation, 
those interactions with patients, like doctors are humans, just like everybody else. All of this stuff has like tiny little bits of trauma inflicted on, on you as physicians. That's, that's what led you into taking on mindful marathon. Correct. You know, tell me about, tell me about that process and sort of maybe where the tipping point where you, where you said, look, I, I have the ability and the passion to, to take on this project. Yeah, I think that's really why I started running in the first place. <laughs> so I had tried it, you know, so many times in the past and quit a million times. And I just never considered myself a runner. And when I finished my residency, so this was about eight years ago, um, I, so after three years, right, I, <laughs> I feel like I was just a zombie, like three years of sleep deprivation and fatigue. And I was coming out of that and, you know, thrust right into a new, new job, new place to live, newly married, studying for my board exams, like all of this stuff happening at the same time. And my dad was diagnosed with cancer, like at this point in time. And I just really, I don't know how I was able to keep going to work and you know, trying to be 100% at work, like looking back on this, I was just thinking about this the other day while I was running. I feel like I should have maybe asked my director to take some time off, but that didn't even occur to me at the time. Mm. And, you know, I think now, like having this perspective and hindsight is twenty twenty, and maybe we have evolved a little bit, eight years ahead of ahead of time here, but I just thought like I have just started this job I can't ask for any time off like it just didn't occur to me but anyway so all of that was going on and I started running just like five or ten minutes to um, just for exercise really I thought I wasn't getting much fitness and here I am trying to tell people to live a healthy lifestyle and I I was like crumbling and (laughs) so I started running around the block five or ten minutes and I noticed that it was really helpful to clear out all of the thoughts in my head and really quiet everything. I know there was a lot going on, but for those five or 10 minutes, I was very peaceful and calm. And um, so that's how I started running. And um, when my dad, so he passed away in November of that year. What year was he diagnosed? So that was April of 2012 and he was gone in November of 2012. So it was very quick. That's fast. That's that's super fast. Yeah. And so you have that sort of operating in the background of your operating right. system of, at all times. Yeah. Like to think of us as like the analogy of a machine, like your bandwidth is just, you might not even realize just how monopolized it is by the grief that you're, that you're dealing with. Yeah. And I feel like I really was on a treadmill, not, <laughs> not the running kind, but I was just moving and moving and, yeah, like I somehow managed to take my board exams that October and pass them. Wow, in October <laughs> like, 2012? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Like I, I don't I don't know how I did it, but I did it. And you know, after he was gone though, I had I had this goal of running a 5K. I really wanted to run a 5K, but I'd put it off so many times and I thought like I, now is really the time to do it. Life is clearly too short. I can go run three miles. <laughs> what was it like in October, though? You passed your board exams. I mean, what were the conversations like with your dad? It had to have been cool that you were able to to mark that occasion together. Well, 
the I took the exam in October. I don't think I found out I passed until months later. So we didn't know. And I thought I failed it, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember I took the exam and actually he was admitted to the hospital. And so I drove from the exam place to the hospital afterward to see him. It was just a really rough time. Do you still feel like you're kind of processing that? Yeah. I don't think there was, I didn't take off a lot of time, right? I just kept moving. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you reflect on it now and it's like, holy smokes, that actually happened. Like this, this was the timing, the timeline of things. Clear this up for me. When did you set the goal of the 5k? Um, probably sometime that winter, like after he was gone and I was running, like still, you know, working up from five minutes to 10 to 20. And I thought like, I'm going to do a 5k this spring or this summer. That's when it, yeah, <laughs> I made the decision. <laughs> you know, grief is such a difficult thing. It is exhausting. It is inexplicable at times. Before you endured that sort of grief and before you got into any of the burnout, did you did you ever have to grapple with, with mental illness at any point before that, like as a kid or anything? Not really. I, I think I was always an anxious kid. Again, this is me looking back. Right, <laughs> I, right. I put a lot of pressure on myself and I was always uh, worried about a lot of things that I probably didn't have a lot of control over, but I worried about them all the time anyway. Right. So I can see that now. Like I, I probably am on the anxious uh, spectrum <laughs> and definitely very, um, yeah, like I always was trying to do my best in school and I put a lot of pressure on myself way more than my parents, you know, ever put on me. It was really myself doing that. And, you know, when I was a senior in high school, I took like, I don't know how many periods are in the day, like seven or eight classes a day. And like six of them were advanced placement, like mm -hmm. for college. And I don't know why I did that. Yeah. No one told me not to do that. You know, <laughs> that, you know that, that is the confounding thing when, you know, you, you look back and it's like, where was that pressure coming from? Was this societal pressure? Because like you said, it sure as hell wasn't like parental pressure. And it was the same thing for me too. But yeah, it's, it's this. It, it, for at least in my case, it was this like eternal longing to constantly be accomplishing things. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you've kind of arrived in a place where you sort of let your day-to-day -day accomplishments sort of speak for themselves and you can be at peace with, because at some point you and I are going to talk about boundaries. Yes. <laughs> yes. And being at <laughs> peace with just what you did that day. I say I'm a recovering perfectionist. I mean, this is always a work in progress, but it's been, it's hard to let a lot of things go and it's hard to set boundaries, but I'm certainly a calmer, more flexible and peaceful person now than I was then. <laughs> and a lot of that stems from running. Right. Um, walk me through that winter and spring though. You know, the first time, like the literal, like physiological feelings <laughs> of putting on your shoes and getting out for a run. What was that like? I think I was, most of this is a blur. And I think it's because I was so fatigued, like yeah. physically, mentally, like I was, I think I was surviving, like to get to work and like do a good job at work and then come home and sleep. And I was doing mm -hmm. day shifts, night shifts flipping around. So I don't even, I, I know that I was running and I know that I was tired all the time. Like, I don't really want to do this, but I have this goal. 
and I'm going to do this. And I always feel better when I come back. Like no one, I, I never said to myself, that was a bad idea that I went out and did that. So I, I remember I ran all times of day. I didn't have a schedule. It was a very rudimentary training plan, something I downloaded online and I just would get it in when I could, morning, night, whatever. <laughs> yeah, do, do something. something. Just do yep, something. Yep. At what point in the process did you sort of start to realize that this was helping you process, you know, the, the grief with your dad passing away? I think probably not until years later. Like, I think yeah. that at, I knew that it was helping. And I knew mm -hmm. when I started to run longer, I would feel um, closer to him. I would think about him. But I didn't do, you know, a half marathon until like four years later. So I think really a lot of that happen later on and yeah. that you know I was thinking about this too that half marathon we we loved our family took family trips to Disney World it was like our thing and I love Disney <laughs> and my dad's favorite character was Donald and the theme of the half marathon that year that I did with my mom and my mother-in-law Donald is like the you know the mascot for the half marathon and I just thought like I wish he was here Oh, this was in 2013? That was 2016. Or 2016. Okay, so fast forward a few. Oh, my goodness. So how much was he out there with you? Uh, a lot. <laughs> I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. And I'm going to babble here for just a second. So please take your time, let it out, and, and compose yourself. And I'll just keep rambling for just a second. Well, for me, and as we've discussed, you know, running exercise is the very best medicine because where I was going to go with this before is I was going to be like, okay, so now we've come to realize that you are an anxious person. Have you ever gone and seen somebody and, and have you ever talked to somebody about it? But my assumption is that you have found your proper medication and that is <laughs> going for a run. And that's, that's how you, that's the medication that you take for, for anxiety, right? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the longer I run, um, even when I ran my first marathon, I taped up or uh, pinned a picture of my dad and I to the back of my bib. And so. All right. Well, what was your dad like? The nicest man. So the guy who gave you the shirt off his back? Yeah. And I could see that because I'm talking to you right now. And just having gotten to know you, I can uh, connect the dots and be like, yeah, he must have been a terrific dude because if I were a kid and I had to go to the scary doctor's office, I, I, I would want to see you. <laughs> In that way, you're kind of paying his legacy forward. I think so. My mom says, you know, he was the original Coach Quirk, but <laughs> I am carrying it forward. <laughs> Super awesome. All right. So Mindful Marathon. Yeah. How long ago did you start it up? I started it two years ago. Did you make the conscious decision that this was going to be for medical professionals or professionals across the, across the board? Yeah, I think when I started, I was really just trying to help people who were like me, who didn't think that they could run and never would have considered, you know, a half marathon or a marathon or anything like that and wouldn't consider themselves a runner. So I started it to help them and really I, I focus on busy professionals because, you know, that's, that's me, that's my colleagues. <laughs> and I thought at the beginning, you know, that I didn't have the answer to burnout 
or to any of this stuff. But I know that for me, it started with tying on my running sneakers. And I thought if I can share that with other people, especially in my colleagues in the medical profession, then this would be amazing. <laughs> and so that's how it started. And I've, I've helped all different types of professionals. I have probably half my clients are physicians and the other half are not. But everybody brings something different to it. Well, and I saw that, <laughs> like I looked at your testimonials and it's six doctors and then Tara Kay. <laughs> it's like, oh, by the way, there's a, an average Joe like me involved. Did you kind of see that develop over time? That, 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 that like people of every walk of life wanted something of what you're offering? Yeah, and I think, you know, I've helped, yeah, scientists, researchers, lawyers, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I didn't want to narrow it down to just my um, physician colleagues, although um, I'm happy to, to help them as well. <laughs> well, and I'm excited that, you know, as people are listening to this, that, you know, that this show is about mental illness and this, this show is about addiction, but that's a really, really, unfortunately it's a really big bucket, but in terms of like literal subject matter, it feels a little bit limited, yeah. but I also, you and I are, are distance runners. So I hope that people can kind of grab onto some very basic pointers that you can offer. What are some of the things that you hear from folks, maybe some obstacles that they put in their own way, and how do you handle those? What's the best advice you can give? Yeah, I think most of our obstacles are created by ourselves. They're, <laughs> they're created by our brain, they're in our head, um, but we have lots of reasons that we, we don't do the thing we set out to do. So a lot of people say, I just, it's too hard. I can't do it. Um, they say they have no time, no time to fit it in their schedule, or that they're not motivated. Like, oh, Michelle, you're so motivated. How do you, how do you stay motivated? So I think um, the first step is just to realize that if you're starting from a place where you haven't run in a while, or you haven't really tried running, or you used to do it, but you haven't in a while, just give yourself the time to get back into it and realize that it's not going to be an overnight thing and it's okay to start with five minutes like i tell people that i started at five minutes and they're like oh no but now you run marathons but yes but that took years at, at the beginning i ran for five minutes around the block and called it a day and i was happy with that <laughs> well and that's just it it's 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 incremental growth yes and this is a universal theme mm -hmm. that if you want to improve your relationship with God, you don't sit down and read the Bible cover to cover. You start building in a daily prayer, a daily devotion, or read a chapter of the Bible each day. If you want to develop muscles, you have to be willing to commit over the course of time to lifting weights. If, if you want to overhaul your diet, you don't just completely get rid of the things that are bad for you because your body's going to revolt. If you want to get clean from substances, going cold turkey is literally, it's a, you know, a mortal threat because you can't just go from one extreme to the other. So yeah, building, building endurance, like your body needs to adapt slowly to these challenges. And then all of a sudden you go from five minutes to a marathon. Right. Yes, exactly. It's just small steps consistently. And maybe that's not, you know, a lot of people want overnight results, but this isn't an overnight thing. <laughs> and well, it's this fast food society where we all want to be able to push a button and get it now. Yeah. 
But there's something to be said for like this 50k training plan is 26 weeks. And it's like that (laughs) Mm -hmm. pretty easy math. That's half a year of training. Yep. But there's going to be something to be said for crossing the finish line and being like, wow, that was a process that I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. Rather than pushing back against the process, it's like if we can embrace it. Yeah, and enjoy the process, right? Because it's what, who you're becoming in the, in the process. It's not just about crossing that finish line. And I think that the best way to do that, like we talked about, is with incremental change. Because then you're not setting yourself up for disappointment when, you know, you, you change your diet, you start running a marathon, you start lifting, you start doing yoga, and, and you say, I have to do yoga every day. You know, it's these unrealistic yeah. expectations. can that, that can be a barrier for us, too, because it's overwhelming. Yep, yep. So I tell people, start low and go slow and set a realistic goal. So if it's by the week, you could say, hey, I'm going to get out there for five or 10 minutes three times this week. And that's your goal, you know? <laughs> well, you are a YouTube star, whether you're willing to embrace that or not. <laughs> I'm going to plug the, uh, the YouTube channel and, you know, the show notes and stuff. But you recently had on a guest who, who talked about, what is it, uh, run slow to run fast? I can't remember the exact terminology. Oh, train, train slow to race fast. That's my running coach, Coach Billy Blazer. Yep. Oh, and, the, yeah. and I mean, that goes to say that, like, you know, you're a terrific running coach, but every coach needs a coach, right? For sure. And I also need to be accountable to someone, too, because if I'm left up to my own devices, I will run easy and slow all the time, but I won't do any speed work or hills or anything like that. So for my own, if I would like to try to get faster, not that anybody needs to try to get faster, but I would like to try to get faster, I have to do some speed work. And so he, he helps me stay accountable with that. It's <laughs> awesome. Everybody should want some of what we're talking about in terms of like free medicine and, and, and <laughs> free feel good chemicals, dopamine, serotonin, yes. endorphins. All right, Michelle, well, that free medicine, in order for me to truly reap the benefits of it, I had to go to rehab. But that might not be necessary for everybody. But I have a partner who can help you figure that out. Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. If you're loaded, it's going to run you 80 bucks. That's the max. If you're a veteran and NIU students are unemployed, you're going to get a break. My friend Ron Parch and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out DUISycamore.com. Or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000. Visit DUISycamore.com. Or you can email DUIBHS at gmail.com. All right. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, what, what exactly 
uh, do you do with coaching? Is it individual? Like if you had like a company that has a whole bunch of employees who want to get fit, have you had people approach you that way and could you do it? No, I have never had that happen. I would probably have to do a group program in that in that sense. But right, right now, I am doing mostly one-on-one coaching. So I like to write custom training plans for people. So, But there's a way I've, I can kind of figure out, especially for beginners, how to do a group program and kind of um, coach you to figure out where your conversation pace is to start. And so that lends itself very well to um, a group program where you can kind of be on a custom training plan with your paces, but the the goal may be a distance goal like a 5K. So that would be very cool. <laughs> How much does bedside manner go into coaching? Like obviously you learned the importance of it as a pediatrician, but how much does like being kind to yourself factor into being a good athlete? I, I think it's a huge part of it. And I'm, I'm the coach who is, you know, I'm part cheerleader, but I'm also part here to say like life happens and we are not professional runners. <laughs> so we need to factor in all of these other life circumstances and all of these different stressors that are coming in. So that's why it's nice to be able to adapt a training plan. Like it's okay that the training plan changes. And I recently had an athlete tell me that she had to kind of get over that. Like when she would see the training plan, if it changed, it would like upset her a little bit. Like, okay, it changed from what I, what I had. And she said, now, you know, that's just part of the deal. And she accepts that it's going to change. When I send out the first draft, it's not going to be what it looks like, you know, six weeks or 12 weeks from now. But that took a lot to understand. (laughs) That's gotta be, that's a testimonial right there. Like, yes, it's great to get somebody to achieve their 5k time, but to be able to instill that, that, that flexibility, that's an accomplishment as a coach. Yeah. And I, I witnessed that myself trying to be so perfect in following a training plan and check off the boxes. I'm very good about that, but heaven forbid I missed a run and I would think, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to run this race. You know, one run and it's all, <laughs> it's all gone. Yeah. Um, so I've become much more flexible in my own training and now trying to teach that to others. <laughs> you probably have some folks who are going to come to you and they used to run. They used to be hyper competitive. Maybe in high school, they were cross country runners and they let themselves go and they're trying to get back into it. These are folks who are going to have high expectations for themselves in terms of performance. Like I think about myself and in training for this 50K, one of the things I need to get through my head is that I need to stop looking at my time afterward and hoping that I hit a specific pace. And to me, that is the be kind to yourself component that I need to learn. How do I do that? (laughs) Okay, I have some ideas. What if you put, what if you didn't take electronics with you? I did that once and it was glorious. (laughs) Or put a sticker over it. That's a little technique I learned from another runner. I put a sticker over my watch. um, So I'm not tempted to look. (laughs) Well, and I don't even need to start it. But I, I do like the sticker idea because then at least I can track my distance. Right. Yeah. Like if you don't know exactly how far. Yeah. So you have, yeah, 
you know when you're going. But I think it's funny. I put a Disney sticker, of course, right over the watch, and so when I look down, it's like there's Nemo laughing. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see the face. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. That's great. See, I'd probably put like Dikembe Mutombo on there, like wagging his finger, like no, no, no. Sorry, that's that's a very obscure <laughs> reference, especially if you're not an NBA fan. But I love that. I'm going to use it. Actually, I had an athlete forget her Fitbit one day, and she wrote that in the training journal, like, forgot my Fitbit. I'm not sure how far I went, but I did it. And I was like, that's great. That was probably the best thing that could have happened. It's tough to get over that hurdle because there was one day when I left my Fitbit on the charger and I went out for my run. And I got like half a mile out there and I was all like panicky. I'm like, if I don't get my steps, it's not going to count. And it was like, but then I continued to do the run and I got home. It, it was nice. There you go. Some days just getting the sneakers on and out the door. That is achievement enough. It's in the name of your business, the uh, mindfulness, mindful marathon. How can people achieve that while they're out physically on a run? Because nobody wants to think about, you know, how physically hard running is and how difficult it is. Uh, how, do you, how do you promote mindfulness? I think um, a lot of people tell me that they, in order to not think about the run or feel the run, they'd prefer to listen to music or listen to a podcast, like anything to take their mind away from the fact that they're running. So I'm like sort of the opposite saying, well, what if you approached it with curiosity about how it felt? <laughs> and um, I tried to teach that it doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to hurt all the time. Like there's a place for running hard and speed work and all of that. But um, most of the time, like the majority of a training plan is really running at easier paces and slower paces. So. The first step, I think, is slowing down. <laughs> and then step two is um, trying to run without headphones or without distraction, I would say. Um, and you can focus a little bit more on how it feels. How, how's your breathing? How do your legs feel? You can focus on nature if you're outside. Uh, you know, <laughs> focus on the geese. <laughs> you knew we were going to circle back to the geese, right? <laughs> yes. You ever find yourself or hear from folks that there is a certain amount of value in appreciating the pain too, and sort of understanding that, you know, this is my body. It's capable of great things, including, you know, sort of putting itself through discomfort and like, really, because what you're doing is you're shredding muscles in order to make them stronger. For me, that that's sort of like deep thinking. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can appreciate that as well, but it took practice to get there. Yeah, I think I can, I feel that way after a speed workout. I mean, I may let a few curse words go toward my coach, like in the middle of it, like woof. But <laughs> at the end of it, like, wow, I, I did that. I didn't, when I set out on this run, I wasn't sure I'd be able to hit that pace, but look at what my body can do. And I did it. So it is a, a sort of mind tricks on how, how you look at things. But I also like, like the majority of my week is very slow, easy miles. That's what I, <laughs> that's what I love. I love that you say that, that you drop curse words and you In my use head. <laughs> the, the, the four letter word woof. <laughs> oh man, yeah. that's great. All right, so you're going to be doing the, the 10K <laughs> here in a, in a few weeks. Hopefully you find it in person race. Yes. 
Um, do you think you'll build it back out to a half marathon soon again? Yeah, I think I'm going to do a half marathon in the fall. I may be the one here in Philadelphia. It's some, sometime mid-November, I think, but we'll see. But yeah, definitely building back for a half marathon. It's been too long. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, that's awesome. And I'm excited to watch your training and see how things come along. And I'm just grateful for the, for, you know, the compassionate approach that you take to coaching and that you take to running because, you know, it's the situation where we attract more flies with honey, right? If we present running in, in athletics as constantly being competitive and challenging, I think for the vast majority of people that that doesn't seem appealing. Whereas you know, if we promote the value of it and the enjoyment of it, that's where it's at, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. Trying to take a, a unique look at it, you know? <laughs> it's, all, it's all about reframing the perspective on it. Well, terrific. I can't thank you enough for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. This was great. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for bearing your soul a bit and, and being emotional. Because to me, that's, that's how you know, we connect as human beings. And that's, that's where we see the value of of competition and of exercise and, and really the ability to heal. And I'm so grateful that you found that in running. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I'm grateful that it brings me closer to my dad too. Keep doing what you do. Yeah. And we'll catch up soon, all right? You too. <laughs> all right, folks, I love that. And it truly is a universal theme that growth is incremental. It's a concept that I'm absolutely obsessed with, that it's, you know, destruction and creation. You know, we shred muscles to build bigger muscles. For me, in recovery, I sort of had to tear things down to build new and build better. Another analogy is you think about, like, when the city tears down an old derelict building so that they can build something new and better, something that serves the community better. And that's what Michelle is helping people achieve. Incrementally, through these training programs, couch to 5k all of a sudden becomes 5k to 10k becomes 10k to half marathon so check her out at mindful-marathon.com such a terrific human being i adore michelle can't thank her enough for coming onto the podcast i can't thank you guys enough for being here tell all your friends give this podcast a rating give it five stars unless you think it's you know mediocre then give it three stars just give it a rating, give it a review. I couldn't possibly express how much that means to me. It helps make sure that this podcast gets in front of as many eyes and then into as many ears as possible. You can check me out Monday through Friday, each morning at 8 a.m. Central Standard Time on IGTV. My Instagram handle is at 40,000 underscore underscore steps. So catch up with me there and catch up with me next week. I am so incredibly fired up to have on Ryan Maines. We are going to talk to him after he completes his 115K to support firefighters who are battling PTSD. Folks, as always, if it feels like things are falling apart outside of this space that we have here, just remember, in here, we are always coming together. Love you, folks. We'll see you soon. <laughs>